What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to ScreenSpeak, episode 102 of ScreenSpeak, the podcast that's all about movies, life, and so much more. As usual, this is Jordan Anderson, the host and owner of this podcast. Jeez, owner. Big word. Big word. A lot to live up to on that one, so I guess I better deliver, right? Well, it is true. I do own this thing. I run this thing. I make it happen. However, I would like to point out that this podcast and my owning it means really nothing without you, the listeners. So thanks very much for being here, checking out this episode, and in general, showing your support and being a champion for the world of movies, art, and entertainment. While you're here, do take a moment to hit that follow button on whatever it is that you're listening to this on. If you happen to have some extra time beyond that, certainly check out the podcast on its Instagram and leave a rating for the show if you're feeling so inclined or maybe generous. I don't know. Could be both. Before I get too ahead of myself in this intro, let me first address to you all why you're getting not one, but two new episodes in one week for this show. For one, I found the time to be able to do it. I mean, that's the most obvious one, right? Which is not always the case for me, given the amount of time that it can take on the back end to get a quality episode fully produced and released, while also maintaining that little thing I have called a life. That said, the main real reason that this is happening is because this episode's timing is particularly important, because I'm using it to help plug two filmmakers' special live event that they have coming up for a new film that we're discussing on this latest episode called The Last Minute Till Midnight. It's directed by Adam Orton and written by Bo Batterson. Now, I'm pretty sure you can venture a guess as to who my guests are now. Yep, you called it. It's Adam Orton and Bo Batterson. So Adam Orton is a filmmaker from the Midwest and is also the owner of his own production company, Dream City Cinema. He's been around a long time in the independent film scene, in particular in the Midwest, for quite some time. He's worked his way around various aspects of the industry, doing everything from floor directing at a local news station, and even at one point, working as an assistant editor at the world-famous comedy club, The Second City. And if you're not familiar with The Second City, or just Second City in short, it's been a starting or jumping off point for many upon many famous comedians and actors, including the likes of Alan Arkin, Harold Ramis, Bill Murray, John Candy, John Belushi, Catherine O'Hara, and a hell of a lot more. I'm pretty sure Alan Alda even came from there at one point. But anyways, Adam works steadily as a freelance filmmaker, and he has directed several short and feature films. One of the largest ones that I would say he's been a part of in recent memory is a film called Amelia 2.0. So that was a film in the Midwest that was received very well upon its release and starred the likes of a few well-known character actors that you've probably recognized or seen in various other larger studio film releases. And if you're curious about the movie, it is on YouTube and it's there, I should mention, entirely for free. I'll include a link in the description for that movie along with all the other ones that you'd come to expect for both Adam, for Bo, this film, everything. So check all that stuff out in the description of this episode. Now, let me tell you a little bit about Bo. So Bo himself is a digital media specialist that spent several years working in marketing for television stations and even takes the time don't know where he finds it, to be an instructor for young entrepreneurs that are looking at bettering their businesses via marketing, web, and social media solutions. He's also a content creator and filmmaker himself that has his own YouTube channel, as well as creates his own short films, web comics, and much more. So as I said early on, the real reason for the timing of this episode is due to a special event that both Adam and Bo are hosting online this week. The event is a live watch party for the unveiling of their newest short film, The Last Minute Till Midnight. 
takes place on Thursday, November 16th at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. The short itself is under about a half hour. I think it's about 26 minutes, give or take. So it's certainly doable in terms of length. Though I would point out that length is not something that really deters somebody like myself. I don't give a shit how long something is. If it's a good story and it needs to be that long, that's the way it should be. That's how the filmmakers designed it, period. But again, this one's not that long, so you really should have no trouble checking it out. Now, as far as the short itself goes, it's a black and white noir film. And it's perfect for those of you that are enthusiasts for the genre and maybe even good for some sci-fi fans out there. Wait a minute. Did he just say sci-fi and noir? Maybe. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. Only one real way that you can find out, <coughs> you'll have to watch it. <laughs> so again, this event's going to take place this Thursday, November 16th at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time. Bo himself is going to be in the chat and keeping tabs on you all and making sure that the whole thing runs smoothly, but mainly he's there to take questions that you may have during the film or afterwards, so certainly ask questions to him. He'll be most pleased if you do. Should be a good time and for sure an exciting one for both Adam and Bo. So be sure to check out the short once it drops on YouTube and definitely take a moment to check out Adam and Bo live on Thursday, November 16th at 7 o'clock p.m. Central Standard Time to watch it alongside with them uh all there's really left to say at this point is this enjoy the conversation and be sure to check these guys out and see what they got going on in the world of entertainment after this episode yeah. all that embarrassing stuff that you just said i'm so glad that we got that out of the way before I hit the button. <laughs> uh, okay, so gentlemen, welcome to uh, ScreenSpeak. I appreciate you guys coming on to the podcast and talking about yourselves and the projects that you're working on. Um, also appreciate, I want to give a shout out to Bo first, uh, because he, I believe, was sort of the person that reached out to me first. I think you talked with, uh, was it Michael, I want to say? And like he's like, hey, like talk to this guy. He's all right. And I don't know yeah. how it happened. but Yeah, between uh, between Michael Meinhardt and uh, Jake Daniels at Mediaverse, you come uh, highly recommended. Oh, that's nice. Uh, as far as a, a, you know, a burgeoning name in the in the Iowa film community, as far as, uh, you know, being able to come on uh, and promoting a project. Uh, you know, you, you're gaining lots of friends in this small little band that we've kind of uh, started to develop here in Iowa. It, it is the funny thing though, about the filmmaking community. And I don't know if it's, it's probably not uh, exclusive to Iowa, but it is really a, a tight knit kind of tribe, if you will. I mean, like people really kind of band together quickly when they're like, Oh man, I'm not alone doing this stuff. Like there's other crazy nut jobs like me that want to, <laughs> you know, make these projects yeah. come to fruition. And, and especially in the Midwest too, I think there's like a, t almost a tighter bond that comes with that because you're not in that sort of, you know, creative market that, you know, people just assume the opportunities are everywhere. So it's like when you find it, you just gotta, yeah. you gotta stay together. Uh, and hello, Mr. Adam. I'm, I, I acknowledge Bo, but I didn't even say hello to you. So hello. No, that's okay. You know, <laughs> I'm here. You are, <laughs> you are here. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, I wanted to jump into our conversation first, talking with the both of you just a bit about, you know, some background on you guys so that you're giving my audience some context as to who you are, what you do, all that good stuff. So yeah. starting with you, Adam, because I started with Bo first, um, 
totally random thing, and I know the people can't see this. I just have to shout it out. They're wearing Blockbuster and Pixar shirts. It looks really nice. <laughs> um. Anyways, Adam, so yeah. you... I mean, I'm just going to say like both of you in general are filmmakers because it's so sometimes like difficult to just narrow someone down to you're a director, you're right. a writer. I mean, I did some research on the both of you guys and Adam, I mean, you've done directing, you've done writing, you've done uh, music composition, you've done editing, um, wear a lot of different hats, so to speak. So I'm just going to say you're a filmmaker. Um, but if you want to tell, best. yeah, best <laughs> you want to tell the folks it. about yourself, that would be great. Yeah, well, um, as you said, I am, I'm based out of Cedar Rapids, Iowa here. I went to school in uh, Chicago uh, a couple of years back. I, I returned back to Cedar Rapids because of an investment opportunity to make um, a little feature film that I worked on with Bo called uh, Amelia 2.0. It was based off a play called The Summerlin Project. Uh, since we kind of wrapped that up and spent like roughly two years in post um I, you know, had another kid and I, I now have two children and I kind of went into the freelance video production field uh, while working on my own movies here, uh, you know, to sort of continue to fulfill my soul. Uh, and that's kind of what I've been doing. And uh, Bo and I have collaborated on a lot of stuff. Uh, in 2016, we shot this uh, little noir sci-fi crossover called The Last Minute to Midnight. Uh, which we're excited to talk about, and uh, it should be released here pretty soon. Um, and as well as a whole bunch of other different things. You know, Bo has worked on web videos. I We have both taught at Hawkeye Community College. Uh, we're deeply ingrained in the film community here. And so, like you said, it's it's a tight-knit tight community, and it's uh, it's very helpful to meet and work with other people. And I got to ask you about the hat, Dream City Cinema, because I, had, yeah. I had it in my notes here. I'm like, I got to talk about that. But hey, you're wearing a hat so I can talk about it. Uh, so that's your, I guess, for lack of a better word, production company. Yep. Yeah. So I built this. Uh, it's sort of the business entity that uh, over which I do everything. So freelance commercial production, uh, you know, B2B videos, uh, in, including my own personal cinema projects. So hopefully the, the, the plan is someday that that's like the umbrella with which I release like bigger stuff. Uh, and hopefully, I mean, I'm trying to get into the self -dis distribution thing. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, it's, it's the way I keep everything copacetic with the government, <laughs> so to speak. Two questions on the dream city cinema, but I mean, if you had to quickly tell me what the inception of it was, I'm always curious how actually people come up with names for their projects or just their companies and things like that. Cause naming something I find to be probably one of the most difficult things in the world. Cause everything's built around the name, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, 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 it's kind of a funny story. So it was when we were working um, on Amelia 2.0, we were in post. Uh, my wife had recently decided to go back to work full time. I was a stay at home father trying like working on a little laptop doing about 550 different visual effects shots for the movie. Um, just, you know, strained, it pulled in so many directions. And so I'm also watching this like little toddler at the time. And, my doctor prescribed to me uh, these anti-anxiety pills. Um, I don't know if this is going to be okay for your pocket. You're just going to have to listen and decide. So uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he gave me, uh, I, f I forgot what it was, some sort of Xanax type 
you mm. know, medication. And I took it for the first time. I had no idea it would knock me out. And so I just, I passed out. Fortunately, my kid was in the room. We had fence, a little fence set up and, and, and everything was fine. I wasn't like letting him wander the house, but, um, I immediately sort of had this dream where I was falling through the sky and a lot of people have that dream. They're falling for some reason, you know, it doesn't make sense, but I just had that sensation of falling. It was very, very vivid. Mm -hmm. And, uh, as I'm getting closer to the ground, it's like this sort of New York, Chicago sort of place. Uh, I, I start smelling like the sewage of the city. And that's the thing. If you've ever been to a big city for the first time and you're not right. used to it, you kind of notice the smell <clears throat> of the city. Uh, and each city has their own sort of uh, characteristic old smell. And, and anyways, as I'm getting closer, I'm smelling that. And right as I hit the ground, I wake up and I realize my son uh, has soiled his diaper and taken it off and rubbed it all over the walls and all over my face. Wow. And like, I, I, I'm really sorry about that. It, it was literally in my mouth and I immediately started screaming and I called my wife. I'm like, I don't know what to do here. And, uh, just the state of being like <laughs> awakened this way was just like, I, I don't know how to prepare people for that. Like people who have a new child, they're like, what's parenting going to be like? It's like, I have, yeah. there's no way, like I could have never been prepared for that. moment. <laughs> no. So, I read no. one of those books that that's pretty common. <laughs> it's in a lot of, let a lot of dad books. I mean, I, I, I will say, I, I mean, one, I appreciate uh, just right off the get go. You're just blunt honesty about yeah. the quite literally messy nature of parenting on that, which I'm not a parent myself. It's in the the, the plan one day to, to get there. But uh, yeah, that's a hell of a way to get the inception for for a business venture yeah. is uh, baby crap. Yeah. So, I mean, it's loosely connected <laughs> dream city like. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of my favorite production companies is from DreamWorks. Um, and so sure. I kind of formed the name right around the, that time. It just sort of been lingering in the back of my head. And when I finally decided to go freelance, it was like, this is, this is the name that I'm going to use. And I just like the way it rolled off the tongue. So no, no nothing, I like it. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. That I, I probably used up, uh, way too much time explaining that story, no. but you know, that's, <laughs> That, that was there's the a lot to it there's a lot to it it's not it's not like you know somebody's just like oh, i'm gonna start a company one day and just go freelance and call it this and it's just that like it, it is never that cut and dry and simple uh but bo moving yes, on to yourself here you i would also say fall under that broad filmmaker umbrella because again i don't like to just narrow someone down especially us creatives to just one thing i've seen you've done editing You've done animation, I think, as well. You've been yeah, a writer. Sort of. something, um, something like animation. <laughs> You've done animation. You've done some illustrations, I think, as well. Um, obviously, we talked before we even hit the record that you've uh, you know, dabbled in the YouTube space or you're on the YouTube space because you have a, a backdrop that complements that. Yeah. Um, and you also, it uh, looks like, have your own um, media company yourself or, or freelance uh, options that you have because it's, it's, well, it's just Batterson Media, Yeah, right? Batterson Media, that's, you know, that's the government <clears throat> name. That's just the government them. name. <laughs> yeah, any, you know, anytime I take up a, a freelance job here and there, that's kind of what it has to get funneled through. I don't, I don't sure. really market myself as well as uh, Adam does when it comes to that. Uh, it could be a full-time job to do the marketing. I mean, yeah. literally. 
Yeah. Um, oh, it sucks. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I went to, I've got two degrees in film and video production. Uh, one from the University of Northern Iowa. Uh, another from this uh, school in Florida called Full Sail. Came back. I've heard, of, I've heard of Full Sail. Um, yeah, I know they offer online course options. And also shout out to you and I, because that's my alma mater as well. Nice. Uh, went there for graphic design. Nice. Uh, so yeah, I came back to Iowa, started working in local news, which is where I met Adam. My uh, wife's grabbing her computer one second. No worries. No worries. <laughs> she, she texts, sorry. she texts me and she, was, hey. and, and hey. she was just like, Hey, she's like, I'm so sorry, but I got to grab my computer. <laughs> and I'm like, while we were so in the middle fun. of this interview, my wife was like, can you hand me the Apple code that pops up on your computer so I can install <laughs> Apple TV? I'm like, mom, Liz, come on. You're like, of all the times, what it's are you fine. doing? <laughs> no, wives. Um, honestly i've talked about this uh um michael's episode because i recorded one with himbo and i haven't got i haven't gotten it up yet but we talked about i know at one point how um it's all cheesy and stuff but you really got to have the support of of the wives if you're married to to be able to yeah to have investment in this otherwise they're just like what what the hell are you doing like they you know i I wouldn't probably be able to have my passion and enthusiasm without her backing so shout out to the wives um okay Mr. Bo, back to what you were saying. Sure. Uh, so uh, after film school, I came back uh, and started working in local news, which is where I met Adam, uh, working out of Cedar Rapids. Uh, then I did freelance for a long time before kind of finally securing uh, a job in the marketing department at the local TV station here in Waterloo. And I've been working there for for quite some time while still picking up various film and video projects. Um I when I went to school, I thought I was going to be a director, and then I met Adam, and I was like, "He's way better at this than I am." Like, I'll just work with him. Like, I'll write stories and like give them to him, and he'll make them look much better than I ever would. Uh, and then you know, picked up kind of fell fell kind of into producing because like someone's got to make it. So like, if you want your to tell your story, yeah. like, <clears throat> nope, you know. Uh, so that's how I got into producing, and then uh. Got into editing because it paid the bills. Like I tricked, I, like I've got a YouTube video where I talk more about it. But basically, uh, I got hired one time to be just like an extra set of hands on a video shoot, uh, freelance. And then after the shoot, they were like, "Hey, can you edit this for us?" And I, you know, had bills, so I was like, "Yes, I can edit this for you." And like they leave, like I knew enough to get by until they left the room. And then I mm-hmm. would like Google and, you know, hop on YouTube and like figure out how to edit. Uh, and somehow that has slowly turned into like uh, the main part of what I get hired to do as far as editing. Um, and there's a whole you know, this, sorry, go ahead. Oh, just and then like that kind of, you know, when once you're in editing, then you kind of uh, get to a point where like you need to learn a little bit of After Effects or you need to learn a bit of uh, audition and stuff. Um, yeah. So that's how I kind of fell into that. Well, to, to go back to what you were saying, Jordan, you know, like mm-hmm. we're Bo and I being kind of this sort of nebulous thing where we do a lot of we wear a lot of hats. I think that's just sort of a a result of today's digital age. You sort of have to be to get a film made. Yeah. Yeah, I think there, that's exactly what I was going to say. And also just saying that there's there's a sub conversation within this one just talking about the 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 notion i guess that a person gets where they they know they're a creative at some point in their life and you know they're they're taking appropriate steps to get to this perceived vision of themselves and whatnot but as the technology and as the marketplace changes with how film distribution and just all the the things work about it um i i do find it's 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 not healthy to over plan or get over stuck on an, an 
a vision of yourself. Like, you know, when Bo's yes. just like, I see myself as this, but then he kind of fell into this because it's like, yeah, I got bills to pay. Right. Yeah. Um, you, you do have to be flexible and open to just where life for be- uh, lack of a better word is going to take you on your creative journey. I don't, I mean, unless like, you know, you're like some Artur, like right from the get go that you're like, I came out of the cradle and I just knew I'm like, I'm going to be Martin Scorsese and I'm just going to do this. <laughs> like, right. I, I, I don't know. I feel like it, it is an evolution. Yeah, yep. absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and if you have, if you mm-hmm. have the, that, that sort of privilege and, and if you have those connections, like if you're the son of Ivan Reitman, for example, sure. uh, that will definitely open up the doors. Um, you still have to have the talent. Jason Reitman is very talented. Yeah. Uh, but I'm sure that helped, <laughs> you know. That's a whole other conversation, too, where it's like there's a nepotism thing with that. But then there's also like, I mean, y- y- there's good there's good talent there. I mean, your 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 fa- your father or your family is, you know, person made Ghostbusters. I mean, for God's right. sakes, like there there's some education to to be had there. Yeah, um, yep. but, but we got to talk about, we got to talk about your guys. Uh, it is a, is it a short, the last, the, the last minute to midnight or is it like a feature? Uh, cause it's I, short. I guess I wasn't, okay. It was a short. How, how yeah, long just, is it? Uh, it's just under 20 minutes. Okay. Now I want to talk about this movie, of course, because you guys have an event coming up here that it's going to be released. Do you want to pitch that event and then we can just dive into the actual short itself? Sure. Absolutely. So it's it's been a long road to get here, uh, you know, since we first started shooting in 2016. Uh, but we're finally releasing it online after, you know, a long period of post-production and uh, a festival run and stuff. Uh, it's finally going to be released online for free for everyone to watch uh, on YouTube, on my uh, YouTube channel, BoJ Batterson Presents. It's official launch uh, that we're having kind of like a, a launch party for uh, is Thursday, November 16th at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time. Uh, I'll be live in the chat if anyone's, you know, wants to talk or have any questions. Uh, yeah, it'd be great if, if, if people would tune in it, uh, if people would tune in and check it out. Now, first question I have about, you know, just kind of going back to the start of this thing. You said this has been basically worked on, for lack of a better word, since 2016. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we're obviously in 2023 right now. Um, I guess what's the the road been like for this thing i mean like if it goes way back to 2016 i mean take me back there what happened with this well you know the, a, a couple of things happened <clears throat> we this was a few months before the 2016 presidential election mm-hmm. the political landscape changed you know for better or for worse however you you want to look at it um that definitely affected how the film developed in post-production we rewrote the ending we looked at what was happening in the political climate in america and just you know sort of how america was being viewed in the world and everything and for people uh, for people who don't know about our story uh it has it's it is very uh political from the political landscape of the 1950s uh it deals with like the red scare and a corrupt politician uh and a journalist trying to expose the truth um in in mm-hmm. under the kind of umbrella of uh, the looming threat of <clears throat> communism and um the you know the nuclear fallout of a, an arms race at that time and you're saying that there's some sort of connection to something in yeah, 2016 you know, huh it's like uh <laughs> you know those who yeah. don't uh, pay attention to history are doomed to repeat it so well and that's it that's Fair it point, like this yeah. is a the, this is a common type of topic that has been going on 
and I'm sure in other countries too, it's just like there's always people that are search searching for uh for power and just the, the idea of how power corrupts. There's mm-hmm. there's uncertain politicians who didn't care for it. Then they they experience that power. They said, hey, I kind of like this. And then they continue to pursue it. And mm-hmm. uh, so th- this film kind of touches on a lot of it. But what going back to your your uh, your question, uh, and Bo can probably describe more about what the film is as, as writer mm-hmm. and everything. Uh, the reason why it took so darn long to get this film done is just uh, filmmaking at this level. It requires a lot of mental stamina and motivation. And sometimes you lose that. Um mm-hmm especially if you don't have a direct source of income that's directly, you know, related to the film that you're working on, you have to do it in your spare time. Life has to sort of move around and, and, and fit the puzzle pieces of when you get the, the film completed. And that, that was a huge thing for this. Most of the shots in it are visual effects shots. Mm-hmm. They're not only green screen, but, um, you know, 3d, uh, modeling had to be done to create the background and stuff. And, um, and while the the characters are on green screen, they still many many shots they had to be rotoscoped out. So that that st- stuff naturally took time, even mm-hmm. if we had a staff full of people that we were paying to to rotoscope it, it still would have took taken a while. So, um, so what ultimately, is? Sorry, go ahead. <clears throat> ultimately, it, it's just like the amount of post production work on it combined with the fact that none of us were being paid. Uh, mm-hmm. We're doing this purely out of uh, uh, the you know, the soul feeding that comes with independent filmmaking. It's very interesting that you actually bring that up, Adam, because that was something I was going to, I'll save it towards the the end of the conversation. And I, and I promise I'll throw it in there. I've, I've done that before. I'm like, I'll get to it at the end. And then it, it never yeah. actually happens, but I will touch on that. But before I do that, the story of this thing, I mean, you mentioned there's politics and stuff, but I mean, what's like the synopsis of this, you know, give the audience a pitch of the the story itself, because, of course, I want them to watch it on YouTube when it gets dropped on there. Well, before before I toss it over to Bo on this, I'll just say to me, uh, the movie from a thematic standpoint is is very much about how power corrupts people and um, how us as humans sort of break ourselves into two different uh camps you know there's followers and then there's sort of the leaders or the one percenters the people that are are above uh and this film kind of looks at that secret sort of underbelly to it all of how the 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 leaders uh basically control things Mm -hmm. um thematically that's what it's about plot wise bo is a lot better explaining this yeah so it's like surface level you know um plot is about meg mahoney played by the amazing jessica denny um she's sort of the last honest journalist in this corrupt city uh he has this kind of obsession to expose this politician who she seems to believe is doing nefarious activities is probably a secret communist uh and then uh you know goes on some uh you know uh, investigations uh, to expose him uh, that may end up uh, revealing more than she had bargained for. Okay. I like that. And I also like the, I always can gravitate to stories where like you have like the one last good person in a, in a sea of corruption and shit. I mean, like there's, there is just something like a, almost like an underdog element where like you, you want them to, you know, crawl out from under the circumstance that they're in. Uh, and, and in the, the noir genre, I feel like that's always something that works really, really well when it's pulled off. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So 
this is a noir, so I wanted to talk about that, you know. So I'm not sure however, you know, many people that are listening to this are familiar with the genre or maybe watch something on that. Uh, but when I think of noir myself, the very first thing that comes to mind is Blade Runner for me. I mean, that's like a very commercial one. You know, you got the rain, Harrison Ford's grumpy and drunk with his whiskey <laughs> and hunt, hunting down the replicants and everything. It's very sad and, you know, characters are cynical. They're overworked, you know. There's like this kind of... Uh, world weary quality, I feel like sometimes to the genre, kind of on the back lot, uh, not back lot, a uh, backdrop uh, to the thing. Um, you also have really interesting lighting, I feel like, in the in the ones you know, very stark lighting almost, if you will. Um, and then I always feel like, in at least the ones that I like, of course, in Blade Runner, it's apparent there's always some sort of like a existential um look at sort of the you know the philosophy of the story or kind of like what's going on in the background and they they're supposed to really kind of be heady movies you know they make you think you know supposedly long after it at least that's how it works for me i'm curious for you guys for this particular um look into the noir genre were there things of course that you borrowed from to put into it or were you're like i want to kind of try to put my own you know, methodology behind how people are going to view this movie after they're done watching it. Yeah. I mean, um, there, there are a lot of tropes in it <clears throat> and particularly the, the dialogue Bo has written, um, is, uh, definitely stylized. Um, yeah, looking back, it's been so long since we were kind of in that development process, but, um, I can, I'll let Bo kind of talk about that. Look, the dialogue was probably the main reason I wanted to write a film noir. <laughs> I just, I just love it. Um, uh, when I was at you and I took a film course uh, taught by Grant Tracy, who's an, a great writer in his own right. Uh, I mean, on the film, uh, film noir, where we just watched a lot of just amazing films from the forties and fifties. Uh, things like uh, Out of the Past and Laura and The Dark Corner. Um, just uh, you know. Uh, Mildred Pierce, uh, probably Kiss Me Deadly is probably the one that has the biggest influence on our film um, because it's another film that's like, uh, you know, about the communists in a mystery box and finding, you know, opening up essentially Pandora's box uh, and the casualties and causations that come out of that. Um, uh, But yeah, so we took a lot of things and then, you know, from the tropes of that, it, we, there's like the surface level stuff that comes with film noir. It's like you were saying, the stark lighting and uh, mm-hmm. what that represents mm-hmm. as far as shadows, uh, you know, and the kind of Venetian blind uh, bars on people, um, what mirrors represent, what smoking represents. Uh, I always like the smoking. I mean, I'm not, so, I don't, yeah. and, it, and it's so funny with that because, like, I'm not a smoker, like, at all, but I don't know. There is just, like, a cool factor, you know, when well, people are like, so 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 like uh, yeah. <laughs> one of my favorite things that they would do because they are also filmed in this uh, period in American history where we fell under the Hayes Code, which was yeah, where um, right. the, you know, the, the motion pictures were kind of self censored themselves. So there are all these, there are all these, like, wild rules of what could and couldn't be done. Like, uh, you know, if people are going to kiss, it can last longer than three seconds, things like that. Mm-hmm. So yeah. if you were going to have a sex scene, it always needed to be implied. Uh, and a lot of the ways they would do this would be with cigarettes. <laughs> Cigarette. <laughs> yeah. And so a lot of times, like, you know, if you're going to if someone's going to put out a cigarette and someone comes to light it for them, that's kind of the clue that like that they want to have yeah. sex because I'm lighting your cigarette <laughs> real hot. And like, you know. <laughs> 
a cigarette in someone's mouth is very phallic and whatnot. Um, but yeah, so that's anytime you watch one of those old movies and you see like the cigarette coming up and like mm-hmm. who's lighting it for who, or if someone has to light it themselves, someone can't get it lit. Like there's subtext to it. I'm going to be paying attention to that so much more now yep. when I, when yep. I go and watch movies Shattered that feature smoking. <laughs> yeah. You know, and what's <laughs> so, uh, you know, in my film history and film aesthetics classes, it's, it's been a long time. I'm getting old. Uh, but, um, like we could have talked uh, like our, my, my professor in that class could have, could have had like a year long class about it. There's so much that goes into film noir. I think mm-hmm. the, the thing that I sort of took away from it is, uh, it, it's a very, very strong morality tale. Um, you know, you have something called, uh, a, a melodrama. Melodrama is sort of like, it, the term is originally based off of like music and uh, stage productions of people singing why it's called melodrama. And it's sort of a simplified wrapped up version of um, what humanity is like, where you have characters that are very, very obviously bad and then very obviously good. So Disney, any Disney animated movie is a classic example of a melodrama. You know, you, you don't have, uh you don't have the characters asking themselves am i mm-hmm. is what i'm doing good or bad or or what is it, it's usually always like okay clearly you're the good guy and you're the bad guy and that's that is what a lot of noirs have sort of presented on the surface uh and you have um the you know the lighting and the stylism it kind of borrows from the german chiaroscuro artistic movement of like light and shadow uh, used to represent good and bad. Uh, you know, there's very little grayscale in things. And so um, it, it, some people have argued, too, that style and cinema kind of evolved from, like, lower-budget productions at the time who who didn't have a lot lighting-wise. And so it's it's very, very easy to to light high contrast. And so th- there's there's a whole bunch of theories on, on how that sort of look evolved, too. But uh, in this film, it, genre, noir it's very, very contrasted. You know, you have heavy shadows and the Venetian blind effect uh, is always used to a great extent um, to represent uh, some particular thing that I can't remember off the top of my head. But uh, with, with, with our film, we had, we had little tropes, you know, we had obviously as Bo mentions the cigarette uh, that's sort of double speak. They have the double entendres, um, the, the femme fatale character you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's also like just loads of misogyny uh, in that time frame, like so many things in that, it, you know, in the 40s and 50s. Um, so we wanted to play with those kinds of tropes, but at the same time, we wanted to turn it on our head, or turn mm-hmm. it on its head. Uh, so we have we have that element of like good and bad, uh, and then we sort of spin it to show that like no we while you might think you're good your intentions might be good they might be distorted you know every Mm -hmm. every villain was once the hero of their own story they're they're, in their mind they're still the hero of their own story uh and so our protagonist meg mahoney who's trying to uncover this sort of big thing happening in the underbelly of the city and trying to get to the bottom of this conspiracy 
stumbles upon an opportunity to uh, try to fix things, I guess, is the best way to talk about it without giving mm-hmm. things away. Try, tries to, um, you know, figure out or tries to um, solve the problem and becomes seduced by the dark side a little bit. I guess I don't. That kind of does give away the. Yeah, no, no spoilers. No bit. spoilers. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, and, and there's also, um, you know, more parallels to modern day things that are going around. Conspiracy theories have kind of found a resurgence with the internet. You know, you get a bunch <laughs> yeah, of like-minded sure people. Uh, in mm-hmm. the 40s, um, I, I think it was the 40s. So there was this conspiracy theory that all the world's top leaders were lizards. Uh, yeah, I've, I've heard that one before. Yeah, actually. And it, it, you think like, oh, that's ridiculous. But, you know, yeah. now we have people who believe crazier things. And so and I'm not going to name any of them yeah. out because I don't want you to get a bunch of hate mail on your show. But um, <laughs> well, the lizards are already upset. You called them out. So, I mean, yeah, the lizard community, yeah. like like they're tight knit. I mean, they're going to hear this. They're going to. Oh, be yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. uh, um, not to say they're not real, but, you know. Yeah, uh, there's there again. There are so many sub conversations or episodes. I'm gonna have to have you guys back on because there's other <laughs> things we could definitely talk about. Um, one one thing I'm curious about though, because you know you talked about some of those technical aspects with you know the the you know intense lighting, um, you know all the 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 highly stylized aspects of noir and whatnot, and how it kind of you know feeds into the whole vibe of the of the shoot and whatnot. What I'm curious about. <clears throat> With so much of this being on green screen, you know, and I saw that you guys have some YouTube videos where like it shows a little bit of behind the scenes, I guess, if you will, kind of showing how everything was set up and, you know, the actors have to engage certainly with their imaginations. What I'm curious about from you from a director standpoint, Adam, I think that's I think that's where this question will stem from. Um when you're, I guess, trying to work with the actors that you do have and they are in an environment that's so green screen heavy and you know that the final look, of course, is going to be very stylized and whatnot, but your actors aren't really, of course, able to to see that in the moment. I guess, did you find that challenging, sort of getting them to to understand exactly where your kind of creative vision for this was and how you wanted those stylized elements to feed into their performances? Well, um, they performance wise i think they understood immediately they're like this is yeah this is not realism this is heightened uh you know theatrical performance especially angela billman's character is very much like mm-hmm. the moment she she did that first take i was like okay she's got it figured out she's she's matched the tone of what we're trying to do here Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that stems from her theater ability and, and the, in the entire cast, their main jam is theater uh, and theater has so many little genres where, uh, you know, you get to play big characters and film acting a lot of a lot of modern film. It's it's subdued and um, it has a tone of its own. So I think coming from that theater world, it definitely helped them uh, figure out the yeah. level mm-hmm. of energy that yeah. they're supposed Jet- to do. Jess and Angela and Scott Humiston, who's the the third, he's uh, our, he's what we would call the heavy in a film noir. They all have uh, just extensive theater backgrounds. And I think just being able to like yeah. play in that world where you are, it is a, a level of uh, imagination and, you mm-hmm. know, make believe to a certain extent being mm-hmm. on stage, like the magic of being on stage. I think that helped them kind of be able to come into what was legitimately Adam's basement painted green. Uh, and then be able to be like understand in their head where they were at and how uh, to mm-hmm. be in that environment. 
Yeah, there. I mean, there's a lot of plays where it's like a set is just a table, you know, mm-hmm. and behind them is just black. And so I think theater actors have a good concept of how to create that world in their head. The other thing that we did, which was really great, is, you know, I, we went through and storyboarded every single shot. Um, I and Cinema 4D actually went and created all the sets and basically uh, showed with 3D modeling what the e- exact final shot would look like and so have, mm-hmm. we had that on set we showed that to actors and that helped them spatially understand what was going on there's a scene where angela billman reaches over and opens <clears> the safe pulls out uh something and and for her to see like how the camera is actually seeing it she knew like where to pick the picture up off the wall and where to move it so that the audience could get a, a better sense of what you know she was actually doing mm-hmm. um so you know pre-production it, it, that sort of stuff is is where that comes in and saves you now that's really actually i think insightful information to be able to share with people especially for people that just have a fascination i think with um you know the actors uh, side of things as well but i mean i think they're on a, on a project like this the technical side of it really feeds so much into what you're kind of working on with the actors it's not your traditional thing where they have you know, a set and costumes and whatnot that they can fully, you know, immerse themselves into. There is definitely a, 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 I feel like a fine tightrope that you almost have to walk to be able to get them on the same level with you tonally with it, that they're seeing the same vision. Uh, but then, of course, that it's all going to kind of coalesce together in the final product. And, and I'm sure... I should ask this, and then I'll start to wind this down for the sake of time. But um, could you tell me what the reaction was uh, from the actors in this when they first saw, like, maybe some snippets of the final product with the effects in there? Because I'm always curious about that. I don't. uh, Fortunately, I don't. Unfortunately, I don't remember exactly. Oh, when did we kind of show it to them? Like, I feel like we sent them, like, rough cuts or something online. Yeah. Which I don't do anymore. I wait till the film's done to show it to actors. but. Mm. Sorry about what? Oh, they would have watched it themselves probably online because I I would imagine when we first sent it out, it was 2020 when everyone was isolating. So mm-hmm. we didn't unfortunately get to see first reactions, but it was nice. We had a little premiere in Cedar Rapids, uh, uh, kind of like a you know semi-private event. And mm-hmm. uh, Jess and Scott were able to come and be part of a Q&A and watch it. And uh, they seemed to really enjoy it. I, I think my best reaction I ever got from this film was at the uh, Snake Alley Festival where there's a fellow filmmaker sitting ahead of me. Uh, he's just watching it and, uh, you know, there's twist and twist and twist in our movie. And after eventually by like the third twist, he goes, man, this movie's got everything. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think that's my favorite reaction out of anything that's happened with this film. So. <laughs> That's it's always that's always interesting when you kind of are are hearing those initial first reactions to people seeing something, especially I think it's always different actually at a film festival as opposed to, you know, at like a, you know, just a regular exhibitionist theater experience. Festivals are different crowd altogether. I mean, you have some really serious film nerds and film enthusiasts, uh, film, you know, professional filmmakers of all levels kind of attend those things. So, um, yeah, if you hear a compliment like that of just like this has everything and then some, you know, it's like. Like, hey, like mission accomplished. I did it. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so what I want to end this conversation on, because I had I had other stuff actually I was going to talk with you guys about, but I just want to be um, accommodating for you guys' time. And I well, did if say you need more time. I love talking about myself. Yeah, so no, I love talking about nothing more than myself. So yeah. like, OK, well, if I'll see how long. 
I'll say how long I'll say how long this will go for, but if there's like the cutoff or something, just like you know, wave your hand and be like, stop. And also, <laughs> I have a cat that is oh, he's he's in a litter box back there. So great, I'm glad okay. the audience gets to hear that. No, um, right. You heard my soiled diaper diaper story, so that's true. It's like it starts with crap and it ends with crap. <laughs> <laughs> just, just like my career. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, okay, so I did say I was going to touch on this, and I, I purposely tried to structure this towards the end of this because I feel like there's a lot of directions that this could go in. So I want to hear from both of you guys on this, okay? Now, at the same time, do you want us to talk at the same time, or do you want? I mean, that could be an interesting after. audio experience. You know, yeah. everybody just Stereo. talking over yeah. each other. Yeah, <laughs> like, I demand to be mixed into the right channel, though. <laughs> yeah. What I'm curious about from the both of you guys is, Adam, you had brought this up earlier in our conversation talking about how, and I'm paraphrasing here, of course, essentially that you have to, you know, take sometimes these creative projects and either, of course, financially make them work, uh, but more so from a time structure, you're just like, I got to, you know, piece this out over however long it's going to take to get this stuff into fruition. Um, And so really kind of what I'm getting at with this is that, it takes an awful lot of time to fulfill all the creative dreams and and aspirations and whatnot that we want to do. And like we said earlier, you got to pay the bills. You know, if you're a, a parent, you're a you know husband, you know, you're, you're a, a brother, father, daughter. I mean, whatever the hell it is, you know, you have all these other obligations to do. So I guess what I'm curious about is for both of you guys. Because I know the creative path is sometimes one of isolation. If you have to work on things, you know, in a dark cave, especially editing and doing that whole thing. Um, How do you guys feed your passion just for continuing to sustain this and just keeping yourself motivated and and hungry to to still stay, you know, in the industry that you guys are working in? Yeah. that is such a good question. I mean, I I've seriously thought about before, like having a filmmaker support group or or just like open to create creators in all aspects. You know, whether you're a painter, an actor, uh, some sort of filmmaker, it's it's so vitally important because the odds are not good that any one person is gonna is gonna really quote unquote make it or get to a point where their their income is immediately sustained by the thing they love doing. Mm-hmm. That's just the way it is. Otherwise mm-hmm. so many a lot more people would jump into acting. And so uh the first thing I have to say to that is you you have to do it out of love. Um and you know I sort of had a coming to Jesus moment with myself not too long ago where I said, do I want to keep doing this? And like, do I want to do I'm approaching middle age now, which is freaking crazy to say. Um, and pretty soon my kids are going to be teenagers. And like I, I just say to myself, do I want to keep doing this? There's a chance that this might just be the level that I keep doing it at um, mm-hmm. forever. Am I OK with that? And the answer was finally, yes, like it it is it is soul feeding to you like you love doing it um and it is very very hard but every every creator has to have that moment where i think they come to the realization of do i enjoy doing this potentially never being able to sustain myself from it Um, and i think if you do and you can continue to do it uh you will eventually find some sort of success out of that and success will mean different things to different people um but 
you know, talking about family obligations and stuff, uh, you do have to live your life. You you shouldn't put your life on hold because of this, because you don't know how what direction it's going to go. You might you might end up doing something you never thought you did, and you have to be open to it. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the, you just get you you have to love it, and that's that's the the final answer. Yeah, no, I I think that's all. It's all pretty astute stuff. Bo, want to hear from you, and then I'll I'll jump in. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean. <laughs> I'm not going to sugarcoat it for anyone. It is very difficult when you... I don't think you should to, sugarcoat it. <laughs> trying it's to not meant a, to be easy. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, you know, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Um, trying to find a balance between having, like, these creative passions that you feel like you have to do because, uh, you know, there's something inside of you, for better or worse, uh, that you feel like you have to get out, um, while also trying to you know, do a nine to five and, you know, we're millennials. So it's a nine to five and whatever side project you also have to do uh, because, uh, you know, gas is expensive. Um, And then, you know, you have to be a a good husband and, uh, you know, a father and take care of the house and what all that entails. It's definitely hard to find uh, a balance, but it's basically like if it's something that calls to you, like you have to make the time for it, um, you know, that if if that means you got to get up early or you got to stay up late, like you you have to find the time. And like, even if it means if you got to make it like a schedule, uh, mm-hmm. I know like that's <clears throat> difficult for like creative people to hear because some <laughs> people just want to work when the when the, when the spark hits them. Right. But like sometimes you do just have to be like, OK, it's. I'm going to get up tomorrow at 5 a.m. And at 5 a.m. Mm-hmm. I'm going to write or I'm going to sit at the computer and edit uh, or I'm going to get up and storyboard or I'm even or like I'm going to get up and read something. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just have to kind of get make it a schedule or a routine and and put in the work. Um, there's so a di- there's a yeah. discipline. There's a discipline, I think, that kind of develops for people that are really going to have longevity in this field. You know, field of entertainment is just kind of what I'll gloss it you know, over and say. Um, there's a lot of things that come to mind for me when I ask people this question, because I think one, there's never always a straight answer to it. I mean, it's always kind of changing, you know, as your project and as your life is kind of evolving over time. Um, but I definitely agree just with what Adam said at the beginning, which is just, you know, the, the love part of it. I mean, you, you really have to just start with, I just purely love this art. I love this art form. I love how it brings people together, the conversations it produces, the imagination behind it. I mean, you can continue, continue, continue. But if you don't have that, you certainly are not going to, I think, have longevity, you know, purely in the long run for being able to do this. And and the other thing that I would say <clears throat> is also, you know, it, it is important to have whether you want to call it validation uh, or just words of affirmation from other people that are in the community of this space uh, to kind of keep you motivated and and keep you going, because that's something I have ran into myself uh, as, you know, whether you want to call me an aspiring podcaster or creator myself, um, you sometimes have to ask yourself that question of like, what is to what Adam said earlier, like that level that, I'm trying to get to, or am I even trying to get to an attainable level? Like, where am I kind of trying to land at in this space? And is it going to be at a place where it's like, yeah, I'm content with that. Right. And and that's a challenge. That's tricky. Yeah. Yep. And, uh, sometimes it, you know, I talk about the love part of it, but sometimes there are moments where you will say, I 
I don't necessarily love this. Um, yeah. Like, for instance, writing, you know, when I was in my 20s, there would be days I'd get up and I'd be like, I'm so inspired. And I would just write and write and write. Did you actually say that out loud? Is this an internal monologue? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, my wife was like, I need to use the bathroom. Get out. So, um, yeah. Uh, there, and as you kind of continue writing, you're going to learn that um, you're not always going to be inspired. And sometimes you just have to, like Bo said, make that schedule and say, I'm going to write for an hour. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know what I'm going to write yet. It might be terrible. It might be great. Uh, but I just got to, I just got to make sure words are being on put on paper. Uh, and I'll do that for an hour. I personally, I've done that for 15 minutes. I've told myself I'm going to do 15 minutes of writing a day and doesn't matter what it is. I, I know I'm not setting any expectations about how good it's going to be. I'm just mm -hmm. going to write. And amazingly, that has resulted in stuff I've really, really liked more often than not. You know, when you give yourself the freedom to sort of fail and say, like, this can be yeah. garbage, it's okay. Your your it releases uh, that sort of obligation in your mind to create something great, and it ends up being great in a weird way. So your 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 brain is kind of like being creative without you realizing it. You're just there to accomplish a, mm -hmm. a chore, uh, and so those are the kinds of times where you know if you're not feeling inspired, it does feel like work. Um, but if if you can get yourself through those moments, the the actual finally creating part is so incredibly rewarding. Mm -hmm. It's uh, that's enough to keep me going for a year. You know, writing a good script over a period of three months is enough. I'd say to keep me going for five years, you know, like to say, wow, I wrote that. Can I actually get this made? Uh, you know, something, so something it, else. <clears throat> well, something else I think that you touched on, whether, whether you meant to or not was talking about, expectation i think that you set for yourself yeah. um and, and i'm sure both of you guys could certainly have opinions on this because i know you know at the at the at the end of the day the process starts and stops with you right i mean like you have to be the person that motivates yourself you got to put the work in as we talked about the discipline etc but i mean you have to be the the person that channels that yeah. and in order to do that there is an expectation i think that people set for themselves on this and they're just like, you know, I'm going to, you know, set this high bar for myself and I'm going to do it. And sometimes that's great because it's a fantastic motivator and it pushes you to go past people because there is a competitiveness sometimes to this field of, you know, you got to be first. You got to release stuff quick. You know, I got to put out content and things like that. But yeah. <clears throat> on the flip side of that, expectation can also be dangerous because then you're setting yourself up sometimes for failure or a personal you know, I'm not respecting myself because I'm not reaching this, this either unrealistic level I've set for myself or whatever, whatever. Um, and then you get so focused on that, that it actually kind of dilutes and, and gets in the way of, you know, pure creativity where, you know, you're not setting an expectation, you know, you have a sense of, of freedom and you're just able to go with the process and see what it produces. And, and like you said, Adam, I think sometimes when you kind of put those, you know, standards aside or, you know, the, these notions in your head aside and just kind of focus on the pure creative process and just be like, I'm going to allow myself to be free and see where this goes, mistakes and all. I mean, that's 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 when some of the greatest stuff gets made, I think, in film. Creativity is, is such a fickle thing. You know, we have our, our our superficial reasons for wanting to write something, you know, like I think Bo and I went into the last minute to midnight saying, like, we want to write this really cool noir 
and we we're gonna play with this genre we're gonna have fun that's sort of sitting on the the conscious part of your brain subconsciously your mind is doing things that you're not even aware of with this genre and when we got to finally finishing the film we're like oh this is actually maybe what this film is about and we we never knew that uh but if you don't if you don't allow your brain to sort of play with the possibility of what all the thing you're working on can be you'll never know that if you yeah if i mean if you stick to that expectation of no this has to be a perfect genre film yeah. mm-hmm. uh you know we wouldn't have gotten to the point where the the movie like does the weird thing that it does at the end that i can't <laughs> talk about so oh, yeah it's also a lot of i think a lot of people <clears throat> a lot of storytellers i should say it, some storytellers will go into writing thinking like this is the message i have and this is the theme and this is what mm-hmm. i want to say and then they'll come up with the story and the characters and the plot around that message. And then it, it comes out maybe a little preachy, like like maybe mm-hmm. a little on the nose with what they're trying to say. Um, so, like, you know, what I like to say is the best way to go is to start with characters and problems uh, and then wait for your theme to, like, reveal itself. Yeah. And, and uh, a lot of people, too, I've found... A lot of people in film school, we've had this discussion, they confuse themes with thesis. So uh, in my opinion, a theme is a very, very broad sort of thing. It's usually one word. So like uh, a movie, uh, uh, I guess like like Saving Private Ryan, a, a lot of, I think, younger filmmakers would be like, oh, the theme is that war is bad or that mm-hmm. uh, violence, you know, begets violence. I get it, it those in my opinions are you know statements or thesis sort of elements uh mm-hmm. a theme in my in my understanding is a broad term like love or war paranoia very yeah very very and so if you have to in your mind while you're writing you have to say i can have a movie with a theme that's about something that doesn't need to say something mm. uh and I, I I think in with last minute to midnight we our our sort of theme is that is is about power morality those are kind of our our themes and then the passion statement or the thesis under it is that like uh, power corrupts you know that's that's more of the statement mm-hmm. um, so when you're writing you you gotta I, I think try to set those things aside like what what Bo is <clears> saying <throat> I don't want to monopolize that point <laughs> but yeah no just talk about how I'm right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Bo's right. Speaking of of Bo, um, you said I think Bo in the email to kind of get this set up that um, I, I don't know if you use like a hashtag or something like that. I felt like you did. Uh, what, oh. no, nor November? No, November. Is this is this a thing? Is this real? Uh, it's kind of a thing. Bo's if you're, making if it you're a thing. Film, <laughs> if you're a film noir person, you'll you'll be uh, you'll know about film. You'll know about November. Because um, I'm familiar with No Shave November. That's always yep. the, the the one I'm most familiar with. I, well, I, I, I can't say that I won't one. talk about. So one of the courses <laughs> I teach uh, at Hawkeye uh, at, at the moment mm-hmm. is social media for business. And in teaching that course, I found that every single day is some kind of day. Uh, you know, if it's like you know chocolate mm-hmm. pudding day, it's always there's always a food for sure. But if it's like chocolate pudding day or national kite day or uh, international take your dog for a walk day there's always something uh so yes with no shave november 
you also have Noir Vember. Um, yeah. So there's always there's always something to there's, sell. This right? thing called No Nut November, where you, say, you don't eat <laughs> legumes. Also, something that people celebrate. You don't eat. You yeah, don't eat nuts, nuts or acorns or yeah. <laughs> That's what I understand. No nuts November from nuts. That it's I, also the, the time of the year where the squirrels <laughs> are like burying their nuts, and so I think it kind of goes along with uh, preparing for winter. I certainly know that I'm in the company of creatives right now because I definitely had a moment where I'm like, this episode might take a different turn <laughs> than what yeah, I was expecting. Yeah, and you should let it, you know? Just yeah, don't fight it. let the unexpected <laughs> in. That's how it goes. <laughs> let, I, let, I, I, let the thesis reveal itself. I did see, because I, I couldn't help myself, Bo, I did Google. I'm like, what what is the, the national days today? The first one that came up is that apparently today, uh, November 11th is when this is being recorded, is uh, World Science Day for Peace and Development. I, I'm sure. not sure who sets the standard for that, but uh, oh, that's hey. Awesome. I it, mean, also that, might be, it also might be Veterans Day. Yeah, actually... Yeah, actually, that is that is that is correct. I, I feel that like that one is probably a little bit more well known. Yeah. Well, the the image I'm looking at is that Veterans Day apparently also goes along with National Sunday Day, not confused with the day of the week, but like the ice cream yeah. treat. That's um, apparently, that that's National also today. Sunday Day is not on a Sunday. That's true. <laughs> I feel like that's a, a bad bad call. People that set that day. Uh, <laughs> um, okay. Final thoughts that you guys have on whether it is talking about last minute till midnight, which again, to, uh, say that date again. So when people can find it, November 16th at 7 PM central Beautiful. standard time uh, on YouTube, Bo J. Batterson presents. Uh, also, I recently posted sort of a behind the scenes video. Uh, if you kind of want to, you know, uh, learn more about the making of and how, how it came to be. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so yeah, November 16th is what yep. you just said. believe so. Um, I will make sure, of course, all the information for that is in the description of this episode. And also when I promote it, I will be sure to channel that. So you can't miss it. You can't miss and, when the data this is going to be. And if you miss it, it is on YouTube. Just you can, you know, check it out at your leisure. But 7 p.m. is when we're having the launch party when I'll be there in the comments, uh, you know, answering any questions that people may have if they want to chat sure. about the film. So. Adam, where can people find you? Oh, around. Like, I, I don't give out my residential address, but oh, I was hoping uh, for street address, like exactly where. <laughs> no, uh, you can go to adamorton.com or dreamcitycinema.com. Uh, those are probably the best place to find me. Um, if you want to sign up for my newsletter for Dream City Cinema's newsletter, we're always looking for actors and auditions and. Uh, you know people to help do stuff on films and, and really uh, in general like any if even if you've never been a part of a film and like you want to be able to help in any yeah. way if you've got the a best cool way to learn yeah if you've got uh you know if you've got money but like <laughs> if you've got like something cool that you think you know might help out a film like be join adam's newsletter I also um, one one thing I'll put out there on this. I mean, one, I love that you guys are not just, you know, putting the classic plugs of like, find me on here and this and that. But you're also offering um, opportunities and ways for people that are listening to get involved with the creative process with you guys directly, which I really think is actually really important that people are inviting with this community and not have it feel like it's like some clicky thing that, you know, you got to know somebody that knows somebody to kind of try to get your in. Um, yeah. I mean, I was, eventually, if you're going to yeah, get I, some yeah. real respectful work and stuff like that, I mean, you got to you got to prove it with your work. I get that. But 
Um, I never want people to be deterred from like, you know, almost like when we talked about uh, Bo before we hit record on like the entering the graphic novel store of like, where do I begin yeah. with this world? It's like, let's give people a pathway to get in here, especially in the Midwest. What's really cool nowadays, because like, you know, Adam and I have said we've been doing this for a long time. Uh, I compared to where Iowa film was when we started, I think it is much more collaborative and easier to meet people who are willing to work together to put out something, you know, cool. Mm -hmm. Uh, I think when we first got into it, it was very clicky and it felt like there were these different regions and different parts of the state where it was like, Oh, that, you know, those people over there, they don't make good stuff. We make good stuff. Their stuff's (laughs) bad. But like now, and I don't know if it's just, you know, post pandemic mentality of like coming together, we're stronger as one, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, the expression the rising tide lifts all ships right um like i feel like nowadays it is much more of a a a better space to come together with people uh you you know you have never met before and being like hey you do cool stuff i also Mm -hmm. do cool stuff let's do cool stuff together yeah some something i always try to throw out to that uh as well talking about just people doing cool stuff in this space and whatnot um, you mentioned, of course, which I, I did like, Bo, that you're just like, money's important. Um, <laughs> I mean, it, it it definitely is to get this stuff to happen. Yeah. But that is always something I have heard sometimes, whether it is uh, people that like maybe volunteer for like nonprofits, because in my own uh, my own day life and like my you know day job and stuff, volunteerism is a big part of, of stuff that I do. Um, but I always try to tell people, it's like, you know, even if you can't afford something, you might have a skill that you can lend to a project. In other words, it's like you're, you're trading service per se. It's not necessarily going to be straight up funds, but like if you have a skill that you can lend to a project and, and yep. help with that, I mean, there's hours and, and time that goes into that. I mean, there is a, a, I mean, for lack of a better word, a financial price that kind of comes with that, that it might not be monetary upfront. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can certainly get value from allowing people to help out with stuff, especially if they can't afford it right off the get go. Yeah. And that's, right. and that's the thing, like talking about money is awful. And it's like the least, you know, yeah. fun part of filmmaking. It's a little soul crushing to, to be honest, but it's also like, <clears throat> you know, when you get people to, it's never to like, so people can be rich and put the money in their pocket. Right. It's just like, Oh, people are coming. You know, we need, you know, we need to feed them. You know, we have to have food on set. You know, we have to pay for gas. You're doing a project that involves makeup. We have to buy the makeup. Uh, You know, like there's just all these, you know, no, no one's trying to get rich off of making, uh, you know, a short film on the weekends. Right. But Hang on, I'm I'm listening. My cat is destroying the back of my futon. Give me two <laughs> seconds. I, I need to... Yeah, no, I, it's, Bo and I are gonna r- run the podcast now while he deals with the cat for a second. <laughs> Bo, like you're saying, We're like good. if if you had like someone offering you a quarter million dollars to make a movie and you wanted to make money, like the way smarter thing to do would go be to buy some real estate and and <laughs> you know right. like making films it's it's not a it's a it's a thing that brings people together for Mm -hmm. sort of something bigger um yeah i mean i mean truthfully it does i mean because without an audience to of course uh you know take in the work and and share it with people i mean this is a communal you know art form and whatnot i mean like you're not just making stuff so one person can watch it you know you want a lot of people to watch it and connect with it and inspire them and just kind of keep the ripple effect of creativity going onward and onward and onward um definitely 
one of the things I loved about uh, doing Amelia 2.0 was just once we put the word out there and we were on the news, like this is what we were making. These mm-hmm. are sort of the the known names that were attached to the project. Mm-hmm. It was it was so cool to see people come out and audition for that. I think, you know, we had over 150 auditions and most of those people ended up as extras and we we didn't give them speaking lines just because there there just weren't that many in the movie. It was it was so cool to like see them come on to set and to give them an opportunity. Like a lot of the people involved in that film, uh, that was their first time. Um, and so that's a really rewarding part about making films is is seeing what it inspires in other people. Mm-hmm. I really also liked now I have not for the record, I have not sadly seen Amelia 2.0. I am aware that it can be found like online, like I can watch it. It's probably not hard to to find. Um, But I did notice because I was looking at some of the cast on that. Good Lord, cats are just driving me crazy. today. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. uh, But when I was looking over the cast, I did notice that you got Chris Ellis in the movie. Um, yeah. And and he is what I would just call. I mean, most people would just be like, "Oh, that's one of those that guys." Where it's like, yeah. I've seen him in so many things. Professionally, we might call that person a character actor, um, somebody that can just kind of seamlessly be in damn near any genre. And like when you see them, they're just you're just like, "Oh, like th- this movie is yeah. automatically better because this person just lends such personality and credibility to the movies." I was curious, and I know we're over time, but. Do you guys have thoughts on like just like that notion of like character actor? I mean, like, do you consider this to be like a, a term of endearment when somebody is kind of recognized as like a, a that guy? Or do you think like they're pain they're they're pain on the inside going like, why am I not like, you know, on the poster with Tom Cruise? Like what's what's going on right now? Well, you know, there's there's problems that come along with that role of being, you know, the poster character. Yeah. There you like I would argue that uh you there's sort of less creativity in that way and uh chris ellis is is one of the nicest people i've ever met um and he he loves what he does and every day you know that he's on a a film set is is he says um it's a chance to be creative and so i don't know about him personally Mm -hmm. wanting to be more i think he is very much in it for the art and for the expression uh yeah kind of goes back to that love it kind of goes back to that love thing that we're talking about though you know just to kind of be the fuel that kind of runs throughout the uh the creative process especially with movies i mean like most people that are really like you know without sounding corny like a true believer of this you know they're not doing it for the check i mean they do it because they like the community they like the partnerships that are formed the relationships that come and of course the stories ultimately that are told i mean i, I mean that's that's what it's all about yeah you know and well here's kind of a cool thing about that too so chris okay. ellis was uh <clears throat> a an actor in a film called october sky based on a book of the same yeah about- the jake gyllenhaal movie yeah, yeah. Uh, based on Homer Hickam, who's a boy growing up in a coal mining, I think it's coal mining uh-huh. uh, town. And uh, I, I've read the book. It was many years ago, and I've watched the movie like 15 times. And uh, it's been a while, so the the details of the plot are a little foggy to me. But mm-hmm. uh, when they went and shot that film, they they met with uh, a lot of those real people that their characters were portraying, and. Mm-hmm. Uh, same with Apollo 13. He was in Apollo 13. Uh, that that one film experience that he did introduced him to so many people 
to where like 15, 20 years later, he still goes out to those towns. Uh, uh, I believe he actually met Homer Hickam. Uh, he goes out and celebrates with all the cast members of Apollo 13. They have like this, <laughs> this like background actors <clears throat> club. Um, and awesome. there's this community of people, uh, you know, uh, I forgot where October Sky was set, but he goes out to that state mm-hmm. and they have like a yearly celebration. It's really cool. And that's th- the kind of thing I think as a star, like a, a poster person, as you mentioned, yeah. I don't think they get to do mm-hmm. those kinds of things. No, because there's also, I mean, there's a whole conversation to be had on like the anonymity that comes with, you know, fame or, or, you know, lack of anonymity, I should say, you know, because people, you know, when you're when you're at that level, it's like you can't even go to a grocery store because you'll just get, you know, flogged or some crazy fan will do something horrible. Um, (laughs) But um, probably the last thing I would say just on the character actors and talking about, you know, just longevity kind of tying back into that. if you are make, or if you're able in, you know, the entertainment industry, the film industry to sustain a career for 30, 40, you know, plus years, I mean, bit part or not, or, you know, you're on a marquee poster or whatever. I mean, like longevity in this thing, especially with all the, the changes in technology and how people consume entertainment. I mean, that to me yeah. is like the biggest success, whether you're on that front facing poster or not, it's like you've been able to be steadily working in this industry all this time. I mean, that 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 right there is success. Yeah. And you have to define success for yourself, too. Uh, you know, you have to say, OK, this is what I'm going to be and this is what I'm happy with. Um, that's a conversation yeah. every artist needs to have. I'm happy with this conversation right now. So I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. Yeah. Crushed it. Um. Okay, I know I said final thoughts about 20 minutes ago, but this really <laughs> is like the actual final thoughts part. Do you do either of you guys have anything else that you would like to say uh, either to the audience, to the world, uh, anything like that? Well, I'll mention the next few projects I'm working on. One I, I have kind of in the works and one that's just finished and soon to be released. But um, I don't want to step on what Bo has. Maybe I'll uh, do you have anything, Bo? No, you go first. Okay. So um, I recently filmed, uh, finished a 47-minute sort of short feature or long short, if you want to call it that, movie called In the Silence. It's making a a little festival run. We did like four premieres here in the eastern Iowa area, and it's gotten some some pretty cool audience reactions. Uh, and, uh, you know, look for that to come out sometime within the next year uh, on Amazon. Uh, I'm actually developing a feature film right now um, called Inside, uh, tentatively titled that. Uh, If you want to be a part of it, you know, I mentioned this before. Go to Dream City Cinema and find my newsletter link and sign up for that or uh, follow Dream City Cinema on on Facebook. And um, those are the things to kind of look for. If you want to see Amelia 2.0, it's it's currently on YouTube for free. If you don't mind a couple of ads every now and then. Uh, So just Google that and it'll show up pretty easily awesome awesome and and of course the last minute till midnight november 16th at 7 p.m is the watch party central standard time uh we'd love to have you tune in and check it out and hang out with us uh it's amazing performances by jessica denny angela bilman and scott hummiston uh it's in its you know limited festival run it picked up various awards be it you know uh best short best sci-fi short visual effects nominated for performances uh it's it's definitely got some love and attention from the people who have seen it uh 
So it'd be great if we could get, you know, a few more eyeballs on it. Yeah. Well, if anything, if anything else, I'll say I hope that this podcast, of course, helps to get those extra eyeballs and ears onto onto this project and you guys just uh, in the work that you're doing. So yeah. I appreciate both of you very much for coming on here. I think it was a fun conversation. We talked. I appreciate about... you for having us. And I would love to bend your ear later, too. So always give us a call. This, this conversation has done more than... You know, I thought it would. Not that I didn't expect great things. Yeah. But, like, I'm happy to have talked to you.